Welcome back to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni with you and Peggy Little, our colleague and senior litigation counsel here at the New Civil Liberties Alliance uh, is still with us. Uh, before we jump into the, the next case that, that Peggy was involved with, I wanted to just uh, give a shout out uh, to another one of our colleagues here at NCLA, uh, Richard Samp, another senior litigation counsel who uh, co-authored the brief in Jarcusy, uh that we were just uh, talking about. He and, and and Peggy split up the work on that. I just uh, you know, he's not here today, and I appreciate Peggy coming on uh, the program. But I just wanted to make sure that that I that I didn't leave uh, Rich uh, out of uh, his fair share of the credit for for uh, his good work on that brief as well. Uh, but the other uh, case that I wanted to to talk about. Uh, is a is a decision from the Fifth Circuit, and uh, you know something happened that we've had happen repeatedly uh, here at NCLA, which is that a panel of the Fifth Circuit made a bad decision that's begging for en banc review by, by the Fifth Circuit uh, as a whole. And the case is National Center for Public Policy Research v. Securities uh, and Exchange Commission, and we've teamed up. And this is a kind of an a, an unusual case in the sense that. There were we filed this case in the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, and then it was transferred to the Fifth Circuit because another uh, set of plaintiffs represented by the um, Boyd and Gray and Associates law firm had filed first against this this rule uh, in the Fifth Circuit. And and Peggy will correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding of of this sort of division of responsibility or or maybe just two different looks at the case is that. The folks uh, over at, at Boyd and Gray's firm were attacking this rule that the that the SEC put out on board diversity. It says that you have to have either uh, well, you have to have a, a, a woman, one woman on a board, and then you have to have either a racial or sexual minority uh, on on the board uh, as well. And that seems like uh, uh, and then if you don't do that, then you have to explain why you aren't doing that and. Their content, their contention uh, had to do with some of the sort of constitutional problems with that from a, I guess, equal protection standpoint or or sort of concerns along that line. But you and your clients had a different concern about the board diversity rule, Peggy. What was your concern with this rule? Our concern is that the Securities and Exchange Commission has absolutely no business telling corporations who should be on their boards of directors, what kind of compelled speech and disclosures they must make about that. And there is nothing in the securities law which provides under the 34 Act that the Securities and Exchange Commission is there to regulate fair markets, um, uh, fair rules of trading, and to encourage capital formation. Nothing in there addresses who should be on any American corporation's board of directors. That is traditionally and legally a matter of state law. And uh, the SEC is intruding way beyond its regulatory power or guardrails in trying to uh, regulate disclosures about or the composition of the uh, boards of directors of American corporations. Well, I couldn't agree with you. I could not agree with you more, but that's not what the Fifth Circuit found unfortunately what did they what did they say uh, in in their uh, and in fact they didn't like your argument and they didn't like the Boyd and Gray argument any better <laughs> <laughs> well the reason they didn't like the argument and decided to um, 
uh, dismissed the claim on a very narrow ground, which is the state action ground. Is uh, they they just said, well, this is NASDAQ just deciding under its own rules that it wants to have this kind of disclosure, and um, and everybody who belongs to NASDAQ can can comply by these rules. And the problem with that is. The um, self-regulatory organizations or SROs, such as NASDAQ or New York uh, Stock Exchange or a whole range, I think there's well over 25 of these organizations, are all um, under the thumb of the SEC. They pass rules, but those rules are subject to approval by the SEC, and they have to be enforced by the SEC. That's state action. Yeah. So, I mean, suppose that, that I mean, how, how far could this go? I mean, if under that theory that that this isn't state action, and so NASDAQ can do whatever it wants. Uh, I mean, I guess it could pr- propose a rule that uh, that you have to have foreigners on your board of directors, or that you have to have uh, you know, people under a certain age or over a certain age on your board. I mean, what's the what's the limit here to what NASDAQ could do under this theory? Well, super interesting that you mentioned foreigners because foreign corporations are exempt from the NASDAQ rule, so <laughs> they get to put on their boards of directors, whoever they please, and only American corporations are subject to this. So that's deeply troubling. It's also deeply troubling in terms of, uh, of uh, a recognition of that boards of directors of corporations need to be looking at the qualifications of people to serve, having to do with their industry acumen, what that board needs. I mean, a good example would be Boeing. It should be irrelevant who is on Boeing's board of director in terms of gender or race or sexual identity. The people who need to be on the Boeing board need to know something about airline safety or engineering or air traffic or how defense contracting (laughs) or how you how you schedule, you know, domestic flights so that people don't go nuts in the airports. None of those things have to do with those kinds of characteristics. And we all know that. Now, the AFBR people were very concerned with the racial um, minority uh, provisions, and that was the subject of their um, uh, challenge. We just simply say that the SEC can't do this at all. Um, And, you know, a good question to ask yourself is, if I were looking at someone trying to hire them to, to help us manage this group, and I ask them what their sexual orientation was that would be an illegal question? It would be also be completely inappropriate um, and uh, outside any legitimate uh, inquiry in terms of hiring someone. Yeah, how do these boards know whether the people on their boards are straight, straight <laughs> or gay, or or what have you? Most states prohibit such a uh, question as a matter of employment law, and it is a mystery to me how this disclosure somehow comes out. The other. Um, issue, and it's a, it's a real one here, it's not that it has to have a certain number of women on the board. It's just women or people who identify as such. Same thing with an underrepresented minority. It's, a, it's someone who claims that or who identifies as such. Uh, same thing with sexual orientation. So how these things are, are determined, how they are even um, uh, applied then how do you disclose about that without revealing who has what characteristic? Again, something that is repugnant to our laws and our, our belief in equal protection under the law. And, uh, and most importantly, for purposes of this discussion, how on earth is that under SEC's 
um, legitimate grant of authority by Congress? And the answer to that is it is not under the SEC's legitimate grant of authority by Congress. This is a deeply erroneous decision. Yeah, the, the, the courts seem really caught up in the idea that, well, this is a disclosure regime. And so, you know, we can, these, these uh, entities can make companies disclose lots of, of different things. But this isn't a disclosure about the company. This is a disclosure about the sexual orientation of a board member. How, how is that relevant to the, whether there's force or fraud you know, on the market? You know, they say in here, and I, I think some of the amicus said that investors care about this type of information. Yeah, they did. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that real investors care about this information. I think that there's sort of an activist group who'll say that, but I wonder how many of them actually put their money where their mouth is and, and do this sort of thing. It, it really does seem like they're pushing on a political uh, aspect of stuff they want, but they don't really invest to make money that way, it strikes me. Now, there's no doubt to me that the agenda here is to increase the number of women and sexual minorities on boards of directors for reasons having nothing to do with the, uh, with the, the health of the companies. And, but and what, do we, what do we think about this idea that NASDAQ is, is completely private and just sort of I mean, that's part of this this opinion here that they that they're they're just sitting there and and this is because it you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of all the all the social media companies that are doing all this they're just doing it the government has nothing to do with this this is just them well this is even more fraught than the social media right. because of the, there is a formal um, uh, arrangement whereby the Nasdaq cannot pass a rule without it being approved. By the SEC, and it also must be enforced by the SEC. The decision also completely ignores the fact that the disclosure and the uh, explanation why you don't have a certain board com, uh, position violates the First Amendment's it's prohibition against compelled speech. Compelled speech, absolutely. They don't address that, and constitutional issues like that can't just be swept away by saying, well, this is a totally private regime when it is the government that is requiring such disclosure. So the, the, uh, the other great flaw in the decision is there was an earlier decision in the circuit called Intercontinental, which held to the contrary, that said, in fact, that um, um, the SROs um, associated with the SEC, in fact, do exercise state action. And it just simply threw aside that law of the circuit precedent and said, well, you know, it's old case and we have a more modern view of these things. And what is astonishing to me is this more modern view of things, in fact, allows corporations to pry into things like people's sexual orientation or their race or gender identity, which is offensive and anything but modern. Yeah. And the other thing about this compelled speech, I, I thought that the, that the decision was way too casual or insouciant or something like that in, in talking about the ability to comply. It was saying, well, you know, this isn't really compelled speech because it's so easy to comply. All you have to do is say, for example, and then it gave a bunch of examples. All you have to do, for example, is say, well, we don't comply with this because we think this is a bad rule that shouldn't be there, you know, kind of thing. First of all, I am not at all convinced that the SEC would think that that statement is, is compliant uh, and sufficient to, uh, under the rule. But, but second of all, it's still compelled speech. Yes. There's no rule that says, oh, we can make you compel something as long as it's easy for you to say it. That's that's not the rule. No, indeed, that is not the rule. And uh, there's a lot of uh, what I have to say is cavalier and dishonest in the opinion. And, and we are going to enjoy seeking 
full court review. Fantastic. Well, good luck. Good luck with that, Peggy. And thank you for, for being here. Uh, Nas- National Center for Public Policy Research, the SEC is the case. 